Again, for the benefit of guests, uh, my name is Joe Miller. I'm the lead pastor here at New Hope Community Church. If it's your first Sunday with us, we are just so grateful that you are here. We welcome you. And uh, on that front, actually, I am uh, just pleased, uh, incredibly, outrageously blessed and pleased to announce uh, that Trent Coakley is actually going to be joining our worship team staff. Trent brings with his uh, wife, Diane, right, and uh, their daughter, Nichelle, and we just are so grateful for Trent over these past couple of months, and we're so excited about what God um, will do in and through our community uh, with Trent around. We're just uh, so uh, happy to, to, to welcome him onto our team. Um, and so with that, uh, this morning, I also have the privilege to introduce you to my friend, Jay Davies. Jay is the founder, CEO, Presidente, uh, Big Kahuna of um, Greater Than Ministries. And, and Jay's heart is to see uh, God grow bigger in the, in the minds and the hearts and the souls of uh, specifically a younger generation, but I think he has something to say for us all. Um, if you've read the Inu Hope this past week, I quoted a passage from Narnia that uh, I think is especially powerful to him, and he may even get to that in the sermon today. But uh, would you please uh, give a round of applause and welcome Jay Davies. I guess I'm on. Nice. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? All right, I think this clicker thing's working sweet. All right, so I want to, I'm going to start with this idea. Without death, there is no resurrection. I'm not a big small talk person. I like to get right down to things, so hope you don't mind that. I hope it doesn't throw you off. Uh, it's a very serious way to start this. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, I understand the past month or so you've been talking about uh, resurrections here at New Hope, and uh, where we're seeing them happen today. And if you know me, my heart goes out to young people, to the young generation. Uh, I've been hanging out with teenagers for almost 30 years now. And um, I love millennials, you know, now in their early 30s, 20s, and some say late teens, and then uh, whatever you call the young up-and-coming generation, I, I, I know them as screeners. Uh, who are now just entering the teen years. Uh, so last year I spoke here about how crucial it is uh, to personally and spiritually invest in a young generation. Um, I've spent 22 years with Youth for Christ uh, reaching out to teenagers. Um, and out of that, obviously, I have a heart for the young generation and seeing them stay in church and not fall out of it. What I couldn't say at the time last year is that God was doing something new in my spirit. Um, and I'll share about that in a little bit. But um, I want to go back to this resurrections idea. Some of you have your little brochures out there that you got the, the announcement sheet and you saw there's a picture of me and my daughter. And uh, my dad, who's over here, uh, got me big time into Virginia basketball when I was a kid and if you know what happened a year ago, uh, this is a fun version of a resurrection. They uh, were the first number one seed basketball team to lose to a 16 seed. And then uh, it was miserable. If you were a Virginia fan, if you're a UMBC fan, you're loving life. And I'm sure there's a few of you around here. But 
Not so much if you're a Virginia fan. Stuck in, stuck in UMBC territory, no less. I was, I'm also a Giants fan when the Ravens beat the Giants in the Super Bowl. So I've had all these awful things happen here. I like the Orioles. I like the Orioles, even though they stink. So, um, but, I, um, but then, of course, this year, if you saw what happened, it, they, they didn't collapse from la- what happened last year. They actually found the resolve from that loss to go all the way and win the championship this year, which was amazing. And so that's why, but that, that's a fun version of a resurrection. Woohoo! It was a great thing. And, um, and they, it, was, it was, yeah, I'm still excited off of it. And I got my daughter into it. She actually cried one night when they thought Virgi- she thought Virginia was going to lose. And then right after that, we took that picture. And she was like, yeah! So that's when that was. Sadly, my, now my parents actually joined me today, uh, Jack and Caroline Davies over here, but my, um, my wife and daughter could not because my daughter is dancing today. She has her recital, her dance recital. She's nine, good times. So, um, but I want to go back to this opening idea of resurrections. That's a fun example of a resurrection, but we all love to see resurrections, you know, and we love to see proof of the resurrection in the world today. But without death, there is no resurrection. Obviously, this is true of Jesus. If he hadn't died uh, and truly suffered physical death, his rising wouldn't mean too much, would it? But I'm talking about a different kind of death. I'm talking about when a dream that you had and that you were counting on dies. I'm talking about when something you relied on is no longer there. Before God brings us to a place of something new and better than what we thought, often he first brings us to a place of loss. God often has to do this because we trust in the past, in what once worked for us, or in what we think we know. God doesn't want us trusting in the past or how he came through that other time in our life. He doesn't want us to trust in the way we've made life work for us. He wants us to trust in him. And that means he may do some new things that he didn't do another time. Um, one of my favorite examples of this is, uh, is King David. Um, he gets anointed, you know the story, many of you do, but he's anointed the king of Israel as a young boy. And many of us know what's going to happen to him. If you've read the story... You know what happens with David and everything that he undergoes on his way to being king, but David doesn't. He doesn't know. He experiences this whole thing in real time. And, he, I mean, he's sitting here being anointed. He's practically a boy. He's probably going, wow, I get to be king. Awesome. When do I start? Yeah. Next thing he knows, David's in the palace playing harp to soothe King Saul's tormented spirit. So far, so good. Okay. Next thing he knows, he's fighting Goliath. He's winning accolades. He gets a promotion from the king. Wow, this is going great. This, this is clear. The next thing he knows, he's in a cave hiding from Saul, who's out to kill him. This was not part of the script he envisioned. David's understanding of how this was going to work is nullified. 
He's, now, we know that David is not killed by Saul, right? He's, he, he lives, he becomes king, but nevertheless, he does experience a death of sorts. Um, his path to the throne is not going to be a joyride of any kind, but a little more, um, a little more of a road of death uh, of sorts, something like this. Actually, that's not it. That's not the word of death. That's my Hey, hey, hey. Here it is. This is in, uh, this is in Bolivia. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm thinking David's road to the throne must have felt like that some of the time. Uh, like, okay, I'm right on the edge. What's going to happen? And one of two things happens at that moment. Either David's faith fails and he says, ah, oh, God abandoned me. I guess the whole, the promise was never true in the first place. Or God becomes bigger in David's eyes. And he's still going, God, this is not how I thought things were going to go down, but I believe you can work in this. <laughs> and if you read the Psalms, you know what happens. Part of what makes David great as a, as a human being and as king for all his imperfections is that when things got difficult, he trusts God more, not less. And, and sure enough, God does get bigger for David, doesn't he? And in order for David to be a great king, maybe God knew, David, you have to go through this stuff. So now, I've never been pursued by a rabid, you know, power-hungry king myself or anything like that, but, but I know about God growing bigger in my life through many experiences. And pretty much all of them involved a death of some kind. I'll share a few of them just so you know a little of my story. When I was in, um, in my 20s, I'd been, a ministry that had a profound impact on me was this thing called Focus. Um, not Focus on the Family, but Focus. Anyone ever heard of it? It's a private school organization uh, that reaches out to kids. And I grew up going to St. Paul School, and Focus had a profound impact on my faith. And I was part of their camps. I actually, a lot of my best stories of training in youth ministry came from Focus. Just powerful influence in my life. And, and I was suddenly growing to where I had this chance to work with lots of students. They, leaders wanted me at their camps, all these kinds of things. I'm getting through college, and I think, well, this would be awesome if I could do an internship with Focus. What do you know? They start offering these internships that people could do with the ministry. It was and I thought, wow, I would love to do that. So I applied for it, and I'm the guy who'd been at every camp. You know, I knew half the students in the whole ministry at that point, um, up and down the East Coast or whatever. And I thought, this is going to be great. I wonder where they'll send me and all of that. And then I got a letter from the executive director. He was this guy named Simon Barnes. He's, he's British. And, and he said, he says, Dear Jay, I don't think it would be a good idea for you to be an intern with us. And I could hear his voice coming through. I was like, oh, no. And actually, he, had the, he was kind, and he came and met with me in person. He said, don't get me wrong. I think you'd be, you'll be a great youth leader. We just don't have the structure to help you grow right now. If you came on board, you'd work 80, 90-hour weeks, and you'd burn out off youth ministry. You would be all about maybe 10% of it, you'd actually be working with kids. It would be all this 
other stuff you have to do in the background. And I thought, well, that helps a little bit, but I, I felt discouraged. I really hoped for this. It felt like a death. But then, about a year later, a door opened with Youth for Christ, uh, which I barely knew anything about. I knew they did the Impact in the Live conferences um, for middle and high school students. It turned out to be a much, much better fit for me. Much better fit. More space to be who I really was. And God took me. I grew up in West Towson. Great place, you know. But I, I really had never ventured much out of the I-83 corridor. I had some friends in Catonsville, so people from Catonsville. Anyone else from Towson here? Other than my parents? Okay, nice. <laughs> but, um, but I'd not really been outside of the, that corridor much. I mean, Perry Hall, Dundalk, might as well have been Canada to me. So I, I just never, and all of a sudden, I found myself arm in arm doing ministry alongside people, you know, just a different world than I'd ever been in, and all of us encouraging each other and doing, and loving students alongside each other. And man, I wouldn't give up anything for those relationships. And God broadened my worldview in a way it never would have happened um, for what if I ended up getting the job I'd wanted so badly. Another one was this. Here's another thing that felt like a death. Um, I did not get married till my early 30s. And uh, I had, um, let's see. Actually, I was going to say, this, that, by the way, was the picture of me in the 90s around when I was doing that. I was a, I was a grunge head. What did you say? When you sang lead for Alice in Chains. Uh, yeah, I was, I was into some of that music. That was, I was a grunge head. Um, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you can see the 1995 post on there, right? Yeah. Uh, I did not, so I did, the second one is I didn't get married till my early 30s. And I remember seeing some other people I knew getting married and going, wait, what's going on here? I felt like, Emotionally and otherwise maturity, I pretty much felt good. I just could not find the person I wanted to marry. And again, it kind of felt like a death. Why am I not finding the person I want to marry? I dated people, but I just had the sense, if someone's going to marry me, they have to be ready for the ministry life and things like that. And I remember, though, that that felt like a death, but God gave me time and opportunities to grow in community and in ministry. Through that, I remember after, for the few years after a particular breakup in my mid-late 20s, just going, man, this is really good. I love my life. I mean, I'd love to be married, but this is awesome. And I was enjoying everything. I remember my age 30 summer just having lots of time to connect with young adults and uh, people my age and hanging out with them and doing, getting in the word together and all this stuff and thinking, man... I'm actually really glad that I'm single right now. And sure enough, it was just a couple months after that that I met my wife. And this is my wife, Lindsay. And it was... Now, that's a slightly better picture of me than the last one. Um, so young people, by the way, this is the key. If you're going to have a strange-looking phase, do it when you're young, okay? Because then cause instead of people saying as you get older, wow, you look older... Or whatever, they instead they'll say, wow, you look so much better, you know? So just do the, do the freaky thing while you're young, okay, if you're going to have that. Um, so that was a huge thing. God gave me some great years there, and I wouldn't trade them. 
even though I'm th- I was thankful that just the right time he brought me my wife. So here's the big one of the past year. And this is the one I was uh, promising I'd share with you. As recently as fall of 2015, three and a half years ago, I thought I would spend my entire career with Youth for Christ and I would retire with them. I'd had a couple of times I thought I would leave and I'd stayed in it. But over the, past, over the next couple of years, as they, a kind of a national vision, YFC National started saying this, exerting more control over the whole ministry, but, and, and it was going to change a lot of the ways that we did things, a lot of our operations. But also, I started having some new spiritual vision and calling. And by October of 2017, I was starting to realize that my time in YFC was coming to a close. 2018 was a year of searching, of praying, of looking into some opportunities, of feeling like I was kind of stuck in the mud. And then God started to open doors. And on December 17th, 2018, uh, just five months ago, I announced to Youth for Christ staff that I was leaving YFC after 22 years and starting a new ministry, a new nonprofit ministry called Greater Than Ministries. On January 7th, 2019, uh, I went to my last staff meeting and they did a final goodbye lunch uh, for me to honor me. And the last week of February, after completing one last project for YFC's curriculum, Uh, I turned in my keys. It felt like a death. At times, it still does. Three weeks ago, after 22 years, 22 Youth for Christ banquets, I went to my first one as not a staff member. I mean, the speaker, they're known for getting really good speakers because they have a guy who has these kinds of connections. This year, the speaker was stinking Jim Caviezel, you know? I, I had to leave Youth for Christ the year Jesus himself was the guest speaker. I mean, come on! <laughs> like, it was... Oh, he was excellent, by the way. He did a great job, and his heart for God is huge. Um, in seriousness, I've had difficult moments missing my friends on staff, Uh, wondering how the finances will work out as we get this thing going, we have yet to be paid. Of God saying, do you trust me? I've also had outstanding moments. People who hear the new vision, some are Youth for Christ friends of mine, and saying, oh, Jay, you've got to do this. You've got to go after this. This is definitely your calling. I, I remember that the things I feel called to do, I'm doing now. I'm getting to do more of them. I couldn't do those in Youth for Christ any longer. I couldn't do them. In retrospect, it's obvious it was past time for me to leave. But it took me a year to get to this point because it felt like a death. In this death, I've experienced a resurrection. I'm excited about ministry in a way I probably had not been in four or five years. I still love working with students, but felt confined not by the spiritual purpose of Youth for Christ, but by the specific way they wanted to do it, the specific mission. Youth for Christ is a venerable organization worthy of support and respect and full of great people who love Jesus deeply. 
If you have a chance to get to one of their banquets, I would do it. And I, I left with no hardness towards anybody on staff. Um, but YFC had narrowed the scope of their vision to say, this is exactly what we are and this is what we do, as they should do. But simultaneously, God had expanded my vision. It was more like Paul and Barnabas. They were both called to follow God, but it felt like two incompatible directions. This way, this way, and obviously it was very difficult because it probably felt like a death for them too, didn't it? So that's what it felt like for me. It's been a death. With doubt, there were some feelings of hurt with some things that happened, but nothing, nothing towards the YFC staff or anything, but just some wishing that it could have worked out kind of things. And there's been fear. There's also been a resurrection of hope, excitement, affirmation, and faith. God has increased in my world in big ways. So I share all these stories of deaths and resurrections with you for a couple reasons, for two reasons. One is for each of us personally. As Joe and the other um, excellent teachers you guys have had here have communicated the last few weeks, we as Christ followers are proof of the resurrection. God is bringing those things around in our life. And I guess I would ask the question that I want to bring to you is where in your life do you need a resurrection? Things have grown stale for you. Maybe something's not as you know God intended. Maybe something is going as God intended, but you're not on board yet. Maybe you've come to the end of your own strength and you need to see God more and you need to see him move. Be easy if that's all it took, right? But this is the bigger question. Do you fear a death? I don't mean do you fear death in general, you know? People have different feelings about that, but do you fear a death? In order for God to bring a resurrection, he may take away something you're counting on. What do you count on? Is it comfort? Is it a fear of change or resistance to change? Is it somebody you won't forgive? Is it your hopes and dreams for someone that you care about? Is it a job or a role that you don't want to release? Is it something you hold on to make life work? Maybe perfectionism. Maybe a, an obsession with security. Maybe a public image that you guard. These things can become our gods. You hear stories of God's resurrection happening in other people's lives and you go, man, I want that. But are you willing to face a death? Are you willing to face that God's idea of a resurrection may be very different from what you thought it would be? For a while, my idea of a resurrection 
was that Youth for Christ would accept my new ministry ideas into their new plan, and we'd all live happily ever after. But God's plan was to take me out of the YFC family, not to remove me completely. Obviously, I'm still in good standing with the people on staff, and we still have great connections with each other, but to pull me out of it to do something else. How about for you? Just know that God never does this the way we expect, but he always does it the way we need. In your newsletter this week, you saw also this is the part that Joe was mentioning about from Narnia. Any Narnia fans here? Woo! Oh, nice. That's what I'm talking about. I love Narnia. Um, Joe included the part about Aslan. Um, if anyone got to read that, you know what this was. But there's this moment where Lucy in Prince Caspian, not, not Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, so this is Lucy's second visit to Narnia. And she, she finds Aslan and says, and she sees him and he's bigger. And she says, but Aslan, you've gotten bigger. And basically what he tells her is that every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. And that's kind of the moment right there. Every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. God wants to get bigger in your life and show you just how strong he is. Part of the struggle might be your vision of God needs to expand. You need to see him in bigger ways than you ever did and say, God, are you big enough for this problem? Are you big enough for my struggle? Are you big enough for what I hold on to that you'll be more than enough if I let go? Will you let him lead you away from the ways you've seen him in the past so that he can bring freshness into your life. So I'd ask you to consider that. But the other reason I share this, and this is a little bit more about the ministry um, and to share that with you in these last few minutes. This is the story I see playing out in young people today. We have some teenagers and young adults in this room. It's awesome. But I see large numbers of teens and young adults walking away from God these days. Some do it for political reasons because they don't identify with a common political grounds that many in the church may have had. Some say there's no place in the church for things we care about. Some say that God has never become greater in their lives. They've never seen him beyond certain limits. It's kind of what I call um, uh, veggie tale faith. Like when the kids are, when you're kids, that's, the veggie tales is a great thing. But as, as you grow older, that's not going to get you through when you're dealing with much more difficult questions, much more difficult problems, everything. That's not going to get you through it. You're going to need a lot more you can still enjoy the veggie tales, but that's not going to be enough for your faith to hold up. Aslan's words here are the inspiration of greater than ministries. Of course, young people won't follow Christ if all he seems to them is, well, here's a bunch of things, a nice experience they had as a child or even on a retreat as a teenager. I know some kids who hold on to that, but then they can't get any further in their faith in their 20s. And all that becomes is a nice memory. 
They won't follow Christ if all it seems to them is a political statement or issue, especially one that doesn't resonate with their spirits or what they see going on in the world. Of course they won't follow Christ if the only church they know is a service in a building on Sunday, not a movement of God beyond the building. Of course they won't follow God if a bunch of arguing adults throw down with each other in a culture war and say, this is Christianity, follow us. Of course they won't follow Christ if the only faith they know is one that worked for a previous generation. The idea of greater than ministries, our mission is that through continued youth ministry, but also training of churches and church leaders and other organizations, and through mentoring young adults, that teens and young adults would see God grow bigger in their world. Um, So this looks like a few things, and specifically coaching churches. That means understanding the young generation, like talking about what does it mean to understand how young people see the world differently than us. There's, There's a lot of ways they just have a different perspective on the world because of when they were born. You ever think about that? The problems you see growing up when you were, when you were a kid stay with you for your life and you tend, they tend to become your generation's life mission. Well, of course millennials would have different ones than boomers or Gen Xers like me or whatever. Of course it would be different. Um, another thing is coaching churches uh, and the idea of leaders, in, in leaders being emotionally and spiritually healthy. Um, a question I like to ask to leaders is what in your life or in our lives gets in the way of our mission as youth leaders? I'm actually talking about that at another church in a couple weeks with some leaders. So that's the first thing is trying to coach and support churches and come alongside them. The second one is mentoring. Some of this can be one-on-one, some in small groups. Um, I'm doing right now a group on the four houses, which is the home you grew up in and how that affects how you see God. Well, that's good for all of us, but that's really big if you're like in your early 20s and you're thinking about life and you're thinking about getting married and having kids. You're not quite there yet. And you're going, well, what's, what's going on in my life? What do I need to check under the hood before, before I drive the car of marriage and parenthood and all that? Um, classes on the Enneagram. I know people have mixed views on some of that. People have heard some weird things, but this is a very Christ-centered approach to it. Not There's, there's some that are more secular, but I'm, I, I support a very Christ-centered one that helps us think through the ways we've made the world work for us apart from God. So that's one. Also doing some life direction and coaching type of thing. So there's a lot going on with mentoring that can happen, and some of it already is. I already have probably about eight to ten young adults I meet with regularly and coaching and build into a mentor. So that's the second. The third one is continued youth ministry. I've been involved in the middle school ministry at Grace Fellowship for 28 years, which is pretty crazy. And some of you are going, man, you've hung out with middle school kids that long? What's wrong with you? Anyways, but I love middle school kids. I think they're a blast. Um, But maybe... um, but I might end up doing a ministry site with some kids at a school, but most of all, the biggest thing I do is camps uh, down at the beach 
in uh, Delaware, a place called Cape Henlopen. If any of you heard of it, it's close to Rehoboth Beach. Uh, for high school and middle school. One's called The Voice for High School, and one's called Crossroads for Middle School. Um, by the way, The Voice, I, I named it before the TV show came along. So for the record, they owe me money, and I haven't seen a penny of it. So anyway, so that's the... Uh, so, but those camps, we tend to go deep and create spaces where teens, just at a time where they need to hear from God themselves, can go spend... Can, we can have fun, we go to the boardwalk, we go to the beach, all those kinds of things, but we also create times where they spend time on a beach uh, watching the sunset and just being alone with God. And so the idea is that they can hear God's voice in their own life. So that's the vision and mission, is all of this stuff, the idea that God needs to get bigger in our worlds or we won't follow him. And... Um, if you're interested in getting on board with any of this, to pray, to support financially, whatever that is, we need you. If God's putting that on your heart. If not, I'd ask you just to pray for us. But, or if your middle school or high school kid would like to come be part of camp with us. Um, and so I just ask you to think about those things. And finally, I just wanted to kind of close this with a little bit for the young people in the room, if you're in your teens or your 20s, wherever it is. Young people, God must increase in your world. And I don't mean go to church more, say your prayers more, read your Bible more. Those things are good. Those are all important. But at some point in your life, you have to ask God who are you and what do you want me to do? And it's a question only you can ask. Your parents can't do it for you. He's a great guy, Pastor Joe is, but he can't do it for you. You have to do it. Something I went through as a teenager myself, and I'll just share this personally. Um, I was pretty young in Christ, and I was part of a youth group, and I had some great mentors in there, great leaders. But I remember, I remember I dared to ask some hard questions, and there was one leader, he had his own problems. He laughed at people's tough questions and kind of had this get-back-in-line attitude towards everybody. Like, just stop it. Come on. Get over it. You're a Christian. He hurt a lot of people. It wasn't just him. Some of the other students didn't want to hear difficult questions as well because it made them uncomfortable. But I had a moment in, I think, around my junior year of high school where I was going, God, is this all there is to you? And I remember God saying to me, wait. Wait. Hang on. And I remember him bringing me some experiences where he spoke into my life. And he got past a lot of the stuff that had been in the way in my life. He gave me some mentors who encouraged me to ask questions. In some ways, God helped me see where my leaders were right about some things. But he, but he was the one who showed me. And in some ways, God called me beyond the crowd I'd known. Even the, you know, some of the things that I'd felt the limits of. 
So if I give you this, God wants to use your generation and he is using you. The church needs you now. Not five or ten years from now, now. The outcast, the poor, the lonely, if you care about them, know. I know your generation has a real passion for those who are put down. If you care about them, know that Jesus cared about them first. If you sense God calling you to speak his truth, do it. God is calling you beyond your comfort zone. You might have a death or two or three, but if there is, know that God wants to bring about a resurrection in your life. And he will appear greater than, greater than you ever imagined. So I just encourage you in that. I'd like to say a prayer and uh, bring back up the worship team. God, thank you so much for this church, for this group of people who love you and want to serve you. I pray your hand upon them and your guidance for them, but for each of them, that they would see you getting bigger in ways they did not expect and trust you with things they never trusted you with before. And I pray especially for the young generation and anyone here who's part of it, that they would know that you are calling them specifically, calling them by name, and you want to do some things in their life, and you will call them beyond their comfort zone. And so we lift up everybody here, and thank you again for your love for us, God. Amen.